This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. You don't believe in Batman? Batman is an urban legend. No, it is not. Hey, everybody. This is Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper. This is episode number 169, and it will be our last episode as Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper, So, yeah, because this is going to be our last uh, episode for the year. So now we got to think of a new name, Tim. I know that's the hardest part, but... Jordan from Smallville, Batcat Shipper, served us well in 2018. So <laughs> sometimes it was a little bit of a mouthful to say at the very beginning, but yeah. And where we're at now in December, it's just rolling off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> now it'll feel weird not to say it when we get to 2019. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking we should go short on this one too. Like yeah, just show, you know, show, <laughs> show. Hey everybody, this is show. Um, this is or no, the show, the show, right? Mm, that's actually not too bad. I, yeah. That's definitely going in the hat of <laughs> names to choose from. <laughs> but anyway, um, Tim. Yes. So I did something that I've been wanting to do for a very, very long time. And what's that? I watched Rogue One and then A New Hope. Uh, back to back? Back to back. Ah, uh, Nice. It yes. works together Doesn't really it, well. <laughs> really, really well. Better than I thought it would. I always, because I did the same thing last year for the first time, and I always knew it would probably work really well together, but when you actually do it, you just don't realize just how pretty much seamless it is, I think. Of course, you got the quality of film as far as the visual of it, one being made in 2016, the other in 1977, so you obviously could tell a little difference there, but... It's really even not that noticeable. It just flows into it so seamlessly. So I loved it. And that's such a great Star Wars viewing experience. So I'm really glad you got a chance to do that. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing, too, uh, I noticed is, or I, di- I didn't notice because I'm going to ask you, <laughs> um, <laughs> was in Rogue One, what part is Porkins in? Um, yeah, he, he wasn't really shown in it. He, he wasn't shown in it? I, th- I thought he was. No, I'm trying to think if they, because I know he wasn't shown in it, but what, did they call out Red 6 at all? I don't think they did. Because you know there's Red 5. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Red 5 who got killed, so Luke could take Red 5 in Rogue One. And of course there's Red Leader and Gold Leader. Um, those are the only two that were, you know, some old footage they found that they reused for Rogue One. Uh, no Porkins then? Yeah, unfortunately not. He should have been there though, because he yeah. is. Unless, well, because it's pretty 
I mean, it takes place right after Rogue One, so it had to be pretty quickly for Porkins to join, you know, Red Squadron and then flying in the Death Star. Maybe that happened, but I don't know. No, and he was part of the the squadron already because like I, I was doing a little bit of reading on Porkins, and apparently he's like this really great pilot. Mm, I guess that's debatable. <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't come through in Rogue One or A New Hope, and he was he was short lived his his time on screen. Uh, I think, I mean, of course, all this is, who knows if it's part of the main canon now, because I don't think Porkins has shown up pretty much in any of the new canon comics or novels uh, to add uh. to his backstory. But I remember uh, back in the old EU stuff, there was some stories where him and Biggs were friends, I believe. Yeah. Like Biggs was joining up with him to join the rebellion at first. Yeah. Um, also, I think they can bring him back in the new trilogy. <laughs> I think. No, not oh. just hear me out, Tim. Oh, I gotta hear this. Okay. So he ejected. And he survived. Or he actually listened to Biggs. Yeah. <laughs> he told him to eject. Even he though listened, he survived, Tim. I don't know, even though ejecting, where is he gonna go after like is there like is it a pod or something that's just gonna land on the Death Star and get shot down by yeah. the yeah. turbo uh, lasers? Well, it's it's kinda like how our fighter jets currently do it right it's just you pull the pull the thing and your seat pops out right Mm. but it makes a bubble around the chair (laughs) there's actually a clone wars episode that shows and again obi-wan and ahsoka ejecting from their ships and they get like in cases like this balloon bubble where they just bounce onto the surface of the planet after they eject yeah but uh, when you're in space, it makes things a lot more difficult yeah. than when you're on a planet to eject. Well, maybe he ejected in such a way where it went to one of the uh, Rebels' ships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, if he was going to go into another X-Wing, I don't see how he could fit in there, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, oh, but the pork so, conspiracies and theories begin for episode nine. Yeah, yeah so who so cares that, about Lando coming back and you know Mark Hamill? When, no, no and, way. It's Porkins. Don't need them. Don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> Just need Porkins to uh, show us how good of a pilot he is. And I, I, I know the the actor passed away, um, um, William Hootkins, who by the way has a great IMDb photo. Really? If, if you ever <laughs> look it up. Um, of course, his other great role was Lieutenant Eckhart in Batman. Oh, right. He was in Batman. Yeah. <laughs> he, wasn't he in um, one of the Indiana Jones, too? Yeah, he was in Raiders. He was in Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, he, he, he got around, Tim. Maybe he was in three big movies, though. <laughs> yeah. And, That's pretty good. You know, he did pass away, so you can just do the Tarkin to him. Yeah, C.G. Porkins. That look interesting. I wonder how that, that, that. I wonder how good that would look. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the technology gets better and better every year, so it should look better than what Tarkin did. Um, but anyway, see now you ruined episode yeah. nine for me. It's not going to happen. We're not going to see Porkins, and the movie's not going to be as good because. Of it. <laughs> so, thanks a lot. <laughs> Just make sure that um, if Porkins doesn't show up in episode nine, make sure to endlessly talk about it on Twitter. How yes. much you <laughs> did not like the movie. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yes. If if you're if you're in any way interested in Star Wars, definitely watch Rogue One, and then watch uh, A New Hope because it, it 
it's so weird how they, how good they work together. Um, it's yeah, like you it, yeah, you will not be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you you won't be disappointed. Um, but speaking of not being disappointed, Tim, let us get to our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. We're going yes. for minute one seventeen or hour and seventeen minutes to an hour and eighteen minutes. Um, so grab your oh, it's been a while, Tim. Uh, well, yeah, it's been a while since you had yeah. to name all the <laughs> relevant media formats. <laughs> Grab your VHS tape. Um, probably on two tapes, right? You think Dark Knight Rises would be on two tapes? Yeah, uh, two hours and 45 minutes, almost three hours. Yeah. yeah, you might be right. Yeah, because weren't the Star Wars movies on two? No. They, they were only on one. I remember, I think Titanic was. I remember when oh, my mom Titanic. got that, it was like two tapes. Uh, I remember Dances so, with Wolves was another one. I remember my parents getting, that was like two tapes. You, you know, in this in this day and age, it's it's like, looking back, it's it's so inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> Don't or, forget to rewind like, the first tape until you put <laughs> tape two in. Or like uh, double albums or... Uh, cassette tapes where you're gonna like flip them over yeah <laughs> heard cassettes say are making a comeback actually it's like the hip thing to be into and really like, yeah uh, like no <laughs> first of all they sound terrible and like you said it's an inconvenience the forwarding the rewinding it's like no <laughs> well I, I mean i guess i, I can kind of see it if you're like a small indie band it, it that's got to be the cheapest, cheapest yeah that format. i could see but Physical you got like format big, yeah you got big bands putting out out like their albums on cassette just because it's like the retro thing to do i guess they're trying to like, capitalize on how vinyl's so popular they're trying to make cassette tapes like that but i don't think that's gonna <laughs> last because the audio quality is gonna be yeah. awful foo fighters do that no they haven't done that yeah except cause... when the first album came out <laughs> back oh, in 95 yeah. when tapes were still around because uh i don't think nate mendel would improve <laughs> <laughs> he's the only guy I know in that band besides uh dave girl yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's hey, they're the only two who's been there from the beginning really yep did you see um was it last week or the week before um william goldsmith uh sort of like made this big controversy because he went on facebook live or something no i didn't hear anything about that <laughs> oh, okay uh william goldsmith the original drummer of um Foo Fighters and then Sunny Day Real Estate. Uh, he said that, well, I mean, you, you know how Dave Grohl kind of took Nate Mendel and um, William Goldsmith from Sunny Day Real Estate, right? Yeah. And William Goldsmith said that Dave Grohl has been putting the so, sort of like uh, stopping. Sunny Day Real Estate from releasing their new album. Oh, man. Because, I don't know, for some reason he doesn't want it uh, out. Why, you think it's going to overshadow him and (laughs) ruin the Foo Fighters' popularity and competition? (laughs) I don't know. I I think it might have been something with Nate Mendel, I think. Like, oh, it would take Nate Mendel away from Foo Fighters. But he... Nate Mendel has always gone with Foo Fighters first. Uh, yeah, he he wasn't on the reunion tour. He didn't didn't play when uh, Sunny Day Real Estate's third album. He he didn't play on Sunny Day Real Estate's third album when they got back together. What year was, he was that? Ninety seven, I think. Okay. 
Yeah, that was right yeah. in the midst of the Foo Fighters' second album. So yeah, he he didn't want any part of the band because he was with Foo Fighters now. So so yeah, yeah he almost was... left the Foo Fighters like after their second album, like in around ninety eight, ninety nine. Why? Yeah, he was just tired of it. Really, and then, oh, the big band tour, and yeah, all that. You yeah. should you should watch the documentary they put out uh, in 2011 that goes into all that back and forth. Is there a lot of Nate Mendel in that? <laughs> yeah, he actually is a big part. Does a lot of the interviews. I mean, he doesn't usually talk much, but he does yeah. on this. <laughs> they even got William Goldsmith too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. But yeah, uh, so so William Goldsmith said that, but then he walked it all back and said like, "Oh no, it was just a." misinterpretation or something <laughs> yeah i'm sure he doesn't sound bitter at all <laughs> yeah so so why did he get kicked out of the band something like they re-recorded his drum parts it, dave wasn't happy with his drumming on the second album when they were recording it and yeah and dave pretty much recorded them all over yeah. again he's only credited on two tracks and those are like the slowest songs on the album too <laughs> so wait this is their second album yeah uh so he pretty okay. much didn't record hardly any songs with them. Like like I said, two tracks on The Color and the Shade, the second album, and then like a few B-sides maybe. But <laughs> even then, Dave might have just did the drums. I'm not sure, Rod. So he pretty much has no recorded Foo Fighters songs. And, and was he kicked out of the band or did he leave? Um, I think he – I'm trying to remember. With Back and Forth, it kind of sounded like he quit because he wasn't happy with Dave redoing the drums on it. And But I think it was – Somewhere it was probably going to come to a point where they were probably going to fire because <laughs> he wasn't happy with the drumming. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I got to watch that. It was really good. I saw it in the theater when it first came out. They had a special movie screening of it. Then they had a live uh, broadcast of Foo Fighters performing their new album like from their garage, yeah. <laughs> like streaming across movie theaters in 3D. <laughs> so those symbols are really right at your face. <laughs> right, right. What's it called? Back and forth. Back and forth. Okay. Yeah. Not sure if it's on any streaming things, but yeah, I lied. I I do know another uh, uh, member from the Foo Fighters, Pat Smear. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another the original Germs. member yeah. who left, but then came back. <laughs> I totally forget that he was on the Nirvana Unplugged. Yeah, he was in the band in their final stages. He never recorded with them, but he toured with them on their final tour for In Utero. Yeah, right. Because I think it was Kurt Cobain didn't want to play the lead parts or something. Yeah, he just wanted an extra guitar, so, oh. <laughs> an extra guitar player. So, to, I guess really, <laughs> not so much to focus on as I guess a single guitar player and singing. So, yeah, totally forgot. And then, I guess was it this year? Was the twenty fifth anniversary for Inira? No, no, uh, the um, unplugged. Oh um, no, next year will be because it was in ninety. 94- no, it actually was 93. I remember the album came out in 94. That's what I'm getting confused on. Yeah, right. It's the 25th anniversary. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like people were posting about it on Twitter. I was like, hey, that's that's Pat Smear. Why is he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. He was on the Nirvana Unplugged. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Uh, he, he <laughs> yeah, we went sidetracked. <laughs> yeah. Talking about VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, grab your VHS tapes, grab your Laserdisc, your Beta, Betamax, um, uh, Blu-ray, DVD, Blockbuster, physical, uh, or Blockbuster subscription card. Yeah. <laughs> uh, grab your laser disc and grab your uh, Netflix physical subscription uh, copy and grab your 
my favorite, my personal favorite, grab your VHS to DVD converted copy of The Dark Knight Rises. And I'm going to give the countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? I am ready. Let's do it. All right. Three, two, one. Hit play. So we see okay. Bruce walking down. Officially out of the cave. And another scarecrow sentencing scene, which, well, I've said, I think I said it the last time or the first time I got to it, but I just wish he was wearing his mask here to see that awesome scarecrow mask one more time. Yeah, why isn't he? I know. I think he would. Yeah. I mean, like the inmates are running the asylum, so to speak, and got the right area. They could take advantage of like how we want to look. How long do you think it took Killian Murphy to do this scene? Like one imagine. take. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, sometimes movies could shooting a scene can take a little longer, so maybe a full day to get yeah. both of the scenes done. This was spoiled to me before I saw it, which I was always disappointed by. It would have been awesome just to see going into the movie and see, oh, cool, Scarecrow's been all three of them. <laughs> oh, the fact that Scarecrow's actually in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and that's it for Jonathan Crane in yep. this film. Yeah, because, uh, you know, he was only shooting for one day, I think. It'd be weird if it took him, like, three weeks to, <laughs> to do that. He had trouble with the gavel. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't slam it right. Um, so, yeah, that, that's our Dark Knight Rises Minute by Minute commentary, and now we can get it to our featured topic for this episode. Um, and, Tim, why don't you tell everybody what it, what that is? Yeah, so... Before I say what the future topic is, just to give everyone a heads up to make sure you stay for the last bit of this episode when we're done, because as of recording this episode, Saturday, December 15th, I'll be heading to an early screening of Aquaman tonight. So I'll be going to one of those Amazon Prime early screenings. So pretty much when I'm done with the podcast, going to get something to eat, then probably go head out to see Aquaman. So and I want to make sure, since this is our last episode of the year, want to give a list a little bit of my thoughts on it, so I'll be recording my spoiler-free thoughts for it later on after I see it, and I'll post that at the end of our regular episode. So, stowing that out there, just make sure to stay tuned for the end of the episode for that. But before we get you hear me on Aquaman, um, we're going to be talking about the Elseworlds DC TV crossover that just aired. Yep, another year, another crossover <laughs> for the CW DC shows, and this one I was really excited about because last year they did that. Crisis on Earth X, where they were on another Earth, and pretty much Oliver, Supergirl, they were Nazis. Like the Nazi regime took over that Earth, and so then the our normal heroes had to fight them. It was across four episodes with Legends of Tomorrow, Flash, Supergirl, and Arrow, and I that one was really disappointing. There was some cool moments in it, but I think it went a little. It was a little too big for them to do on a TV budget, and uh, you could kind of tell by the final episode. I give them props for being ambitious and trying to do something big, but I didn't think it quite worked on TV. There was way too many characters to shuffle around and making sure everyone got their due, and then there's a lot of main characters across those four shows, and it was kind of hard to focus on, you know, you have to pick and choose which ones you really want to focus on, and there was some stuff in there that they didn't need to focus on, which was disappointing so but for this one the elseworlds crossover i was really excited about it because they were scaling it back a bit legends of tomorrow wasn't going to be part of the crossover it's going to be arrow flash and supergirl and just really focus on oliver barry and kara and i couldn't wait for that and but 
you know, what took the excitement for this crossover up another level was that it was announced that we're going to be going to Gotham and Batwoman's going to be making her live action debut. And then also later on, it was revealed that Superman would be back because he's been in some episodes in Supergirl back in season two. And but he hasn't. Now I'm trying to think he wasn't at Super in season three of Supergirl at all. So he's been kind of missing for a while. So Superman was coming back, which is awesome. And then they're going to be introducing Lois Lane. So there is just a lot of stuff to be excited about in this crossover. So, but at the same time, these crossovers have been hit and miss. So I wanted to keep my expectations in check. So, but I got to say, after seeing all three episodes, I pretty much thought this was a great crossover. Definitely their best one yet. Everything that I was excited for, I felt delivered. And the fact that they scaled scaled it back a bit only having three shows be a part of it and only be three episodes it was definitely a benefit things didn't get too lost or too crazy and out there where things got too big or too many characters to shuffle there was a little bit of that in the final episode of supergirl but uh, not to a point where it took away from the crossover as a whole so i really really enjoyed it and before we get into you know the specifics kind of felt spoiler warning there in case anyone hasn't seen it yet i'm going to be talking about specific stuff that happens because there's a lot of cool easter eggs and big things teased for what's going to be coming next year so um before we get to you know the big one which is the second episode which is the arrow episode that features gotham and the live action debut of batman i'm just going to talk about the first episode of the flash that kicked off this whole thing where the cons the basic concept of it is is that the monitor the you know, from Crisis on Infinite Earths fame, he's he made his appearance in the CW universe as well. And he's bringing this Arkham doctor, John Deegan. He gives him this book that's able to let him reshape reality any way he sees fit. And the episode actually kicks off, which was a cool little, uh, not necessarily an Easter egg, but a cool surprise to get was that it begins with, remember the 1990 Flash series with John Wesley Shipp's? He was actually back in his original Flash costume from that series, and we were back on his Earth. <laughs> and it starts off with his universe or his Earth being destroyed. He wasn't able to stop the Monitor and doing what he was doing, and we just see him running across before his uh, his whole world gets destroyed. So that's where that begins. But then back on Earth One, the main Earth, um, we see Oliver wake up <laughs> in Barry's bed, and he's with Iris, living all of Barry's life. And then later on, we see Barry, uh, yeah, Barry living Oliver's life where he's training with Diggle and they're wondering what's going on. Nobody knows that Oliver isn't Barry and that Barry isn't Oliver. Everyone around them thinks that everything's normal, but they're the only two who realize, hey, we switched roles here. I mean, <laughs> what's going on? No hey, one Tim, can, can I ask you that. a question about that because uh, I did watch the second episode with Batwoman and, you know, it's, it's weird out of context, but. So, <laughs> I, <can imagine. laughs> I tried to you know send you a little yeah. information I could. <laughs> so they look like the other person, right? No, they look how they look. People they, like everyone that you interact with, just in their memories, they've always looked that way. Okay, so Stephen Amell is Stephen Amell playing, yeah. and Stephen Amell is the Flash, Barry Allen. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. Now I, I I get it now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't like something they would actually see Grant Gustin instead of Stephen Amell. <laughs> they would tell Stephen Amell as the Flash. So oh, that's okay. just how it always been in this rewritten reality. So Yeah, I thought, and, I thought it was a thing where, you know, Stephen Amell looked like uh, Grant Gustin. No, yeah, it wasn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to say, that was a 
a lot of the fun with this crossover, especially in this first episode. I mean, the scene Oliver with the Flash powers in the Flash costume <laughs> and just trying to figure out how to use the speed was lots of fun. And there's that first sequence where he stops these crooks and he's just going way overboard, like infusing his green arrow toughness with the flash, which is not really <laughs> his Barry style and you know, goes to extremes with using the flash lightning. So seeing them and then you see B- Barry in the green arrow costume being happy and like, Oh, this is awesome. I know how to like fight it. <laughs> and like I'm the green arrow having fun with it. So they're basically doing the opposite of what they normally do with their, you know, superhero <laughs> personas. So it was just a lot of fun seeing them not only use a be each other's hero but then seeing them interact and telling each other hey you got to do this to use this power or hey you got to do this you know to really you know motivate yourself to get things done as the green arrow so just both of them kind of explaining to each other on, on how to deal with you know their new situation and then as he's living their lives as each other's hero so it was lots of fun but then since no one realizes who they are and they're not believing them they have to go to supergirl's earth and that's and then that since she's in another earth uh their minds are not affected so she's you know realizes okay barry's still barry and oliver's still oliver and when when they meet up with her uh, she was at the kent farm with clark and lois which was great and uh hopefully jordan saw these because i know this probably has to be his favorite part as soon as they go to supergirl's earth they had the Smallville. They played the Smallville opening theme song. <laughs> that song, Somebody Save Me. <laughs> like, just to throw it to the Smallville fans there's a little nod was pretty cool. So I'm sure that had to be Jordan's favorite part. <laughs> so yeah, this cool scene, Oliver and Barry finally interact with Superman. I mean, it was just, it was just really cool. I mean, seeing these characters interact with the biggest DC hero there is, which has been a long time coming, was just a lot of fun. I mean, seeing Oliver, Oliver was a little throughout this crossover. You see the insecurity of Oliver here a little bit too. And here meeting Superman for the first time, Barry mentions, Hey, are you like puffing your chest out <laughs> to try to, as he notices Oliver try to compete with Superman, but it was just lots of fun. And then the action sequence at the end of the episode was really, really great because they had to fight Amazo, uh, the robot who can absorb anyone's powers by scanning them, which was a great Justice League animated series episode. And to seeing that done in live action was really cool. And seeing Superman, Supergirl, Flash, and Green Arrow all fighting together was a sight to behold. <laughs> Something I never thought we'd see in the early days of these CW shows. And it was made for a really great action sequence. Everyone had their moments. Superman, Supergirl, Oliver as the Flash, and even Barry as the Green Arrow to take down Amazo. It was one of the better action sequences they've had in a long time on the CW show. So the first part, it got off, it got Elseworld off to a great start. And then it just made the anticipation for the next one even more so because we're bringing in Gotham, the Batman mythos, and Batwoman into the mix. So uh, I, I couldn't wait for that one. So before I give my thoughts on it, I got to hear what you think, Dane, because you're the resident Batwoman fan here. This is her live action debut. But in context of what happened in the previous episode, the side, <laughs> not seeing it, I couldn't wait to hear what you thought of the portrayal of Batwoman. So lay it on me. Let's hear it. What do you think of Batwoman in the part two of the Elseworlds crossover? I thought she was really good. I thought Ruby Rose was really good, um, especially as Kate King. Um mm-hmm. The, the little that we've we saw of both of them um and i don't really get because uh, you were telling me people didn't really like it and i could yeah I, I i couldn't i couldn't pick it out why 
people didn't like it. I mean, that's Kate Kane for you. I mean, that's how she is in the comics, and that's how Batwoman is in the comics. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what people had a problem with. Yeah, that's why I, I really wanted to hear your take on it because I know her casting got yeah. some negative responses to it, and even. Uh, people seeing the episode still weren't happy with her portrayal as Batwoman. And after I saw it, I thought she did a good job too. I really liked it both as Kate Kane and as Batwoman. So I was thinking, man, am I missing something? Is it because, you know, I'm not like as much of a Batwoman fan as like, I know you are and others are, but if you liked it, I mean, that's what's, you saw probably the same thing I did. So that makes me feel better about it. Yeah. (laughs) So so why were people so didn't like, or why didn't people like it? My, I think it might have to be something done more with Ruby Rose as, as a person, maybe, than Why? Um, like stuff <laughs> she's done. Like, I, don't, yeah. I don't know the whole story, but at the same time, I heard some criticism on her acting ability, too. But I got to say, I didn't. she sounded fine to me. The only thing yeah. I thought was maybe a little overacting as she's walking down to the cave to her Batwoman costume and stuff like stern mean face she had maybe was a little much oh, but yeah. other, than, other than that i thought she was fine so yeah i don't know yeah and surprisingly i i think the um i think the the batwoman suit looks better um moving around and live action how they light it um how they you know shoot it and stuff mm. than it did it in that promo picture we got i, th- I thought it looked really really good yeah um, i thought it looked great well, is that even better in motion? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't really know what's going on with Ruby Rose and or her personal life, but I thought she she played Kid Kane really good. I thought she played Batwoman really good. A bit understated, which is what I like. Um, mm. you, you know, you you sort of have like Oliver, and he's dark, and he's gritty and stuff and then you have um barry and he's sort of bright and he's bubbly and you know he has to make jokes and stuff and then you have um uh super supergirl and she's kind of the same as barry and then you have uh bow woman and she's sort of like you don't know what to make of her quite yet but you get a good good uh you know indication of who she is you know, it's it's not the Batman, it's not the Oliver, right? Mm. <laughs> She's not going for that dark, gritty, my voice is deep sort of thing, uh, which is great. Um, and yeah, I I loved it. I like it. Well, yeah, to me, just after you know coming off the great run by James Tinney in Detective Comics, which Batwoman was a big, you know, played a big part in, it just felt like I was watching that character on the screen in this episode. And my only, I guess, complaint about it was that maybe I was a little disappointed that of how small her role is, because as much as it was being built up and, you know, it's kind of be like a backdoor pilot for her series coming up. I felt her role as Batwoman, like in particular in the Batwoman costume, wasn't a whole lot. I mean, as, she was in a, a good amount as Kate Kane and Batwoman at the end. But just as Batwoman, I thought she only had like a few quick scenes. She had a great entrance when she slammed on that truck through the battering at the Arkham inmate. That was all cool. And then. Her knocking out uh, Barry and Oliver as they were fighting each other. That was pretty much it. And then her conversation with Supergirl. So I was kind of expecting a little more. But I guess it's just one of those things, you know, 
take what you get and know that you're going to expect more later on in her own series, which hopefully if it's anything like that, it should be pretty good. So, yeah, yeah. I, I was really happy with it. Yeah, I thought the role was going to be a little bit bigger in this crossover thing. Um, so, so kind of disappointed on that. But uh, as for Ruby Rose and uh, her in the Batwoman costume, she, she they, it looks great. It looks great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the other big thing that, you know, just in general, I was excited for is the oh, Batman. Tim, can, can I say one more thing? Oh yeah, um, go ahead. About costumes, uh, uh, Stephen Amell does not look good in that. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the one that that Grant Gustin wears, right? That that uh, Flash costume looks awful. Well, I, that is. Barry's costume for this season. He's like, it's a new costume each year. So that is the costume he wears yeah. for this season. I mean, I know it's more towards he, the comics, but you know what? You're not the only one who said that. I've seen a lot of people not liking it. Yeah. Uh, it but I gotta good. say, I don't, I don't mind it. I actually kind of like it. I like his season four costume better. I think that's his best, yeah. but I do like kind of how bright red it is. And it's kind of more comic accurate. It is, but it's, I, I know I might be mask. in the minority there. It's the mask part. It looks way too big. On the forehead part, mm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's just that. <laughs> maybe that's just me. But <laughs> no, it's know. definitely not. It's definitely not. I've seen a lot of people complain about this year's costume. That I'll be surprised if he's wearing this version of a suit again in season six. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. think so. <laughs> well, it looks fake. I mean, I mean, that's that's the problem with it because you look at um, uh, arrows, right? And that's just a pretty much just a leather jacket and a hood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then you look at the the, the older uh, Flash costumes, and they look more practical. They look like they're real. And then you look at uh, even Supergirl's one, um, and it looks like a real thing. But then you look at this, and it looks like Play-Doh. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I kept on thinking through my, throughout the entire time I was watching the, the episode. It looks like Play-Doh. Like they put Play-Doh on uh, Stephen Amell instead of like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow oh man yeah. <laughs> i gotta say you're not wrong though <laughs> that's a pretty good comparison but i still like it <laughs> yeah and I, and I will say one more th- one more thing is um I, I i don't know how to pronounce her last name melissa uh is Benoist, it i think Benoist? Benoist, Benoist, yeah, that's <laughs> one of those. I'm, I'm not sure on the exact pronouncement either. Well, but. let's just call her Melissa. She, yeah, <laughs> Melissa B. Yeah, she is really great as Supergirl. Yeah, uh, she really she, is. she does a really good job. Um, she might be my favorite out of all three of them. <laughs> uh, she she's a great actor a- actor. Um, yeah, and she plays the the role really well. So. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, she's been great since the beginning of Supergirl and just really only gets better, especially this season, too, with what's going on and uh, dealing with Sam Witwer's villain. <laughs> Made for some good stuff, too. So, oh, yeah, I forgot Sam Witwer's in that show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Witwer is kind of like the uh, Pat Smear of television shows. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. I totally forgot that Sam <laughs> Witwer is. Like, see him pop up somewhere in some show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, the, the other big thing is just, like I was saying, getting the Batman mythos and Gotham into the Arrow universe. Because uh, when they announced this, I wasn't sure, okay, is this going to be 
in Supergirl's Earth because they already hinted that Batman is, exists there. No, I shouldn't say hinted. They just flat out said, you know, he's friends with Superman in her Earth. So I was thinking, are they just going to do that and introduce Batwoman there and she'll be a part of Supergirl's universe? But no, they established that Gotham, Batman, it exists in the Arrow universe from, you know, from the beginning pretty much because that's what I was really curious about. How are they going to work it out where Batman and Bruce Wayne and Gotham did exist? How are they going to explain, you know, we haven't heard anything about them since Arrow began back in 2012. And for the most part, I thought they pulled it off really well. Um, first, I'm happy that it is in the main, you know, Flash and Arrow universe. I think it's going to be awesome that Batman does exist there. And even though we didn't see Batman in this episode, just hearing Barry and Oliver say the name Batman just brought a smile to my face because it was something been been wanting for since Arrow, you know, in its early days, probably around season two, when we're getting some hints like the League of Shadows is out there, and then Rachel Gould in season three, like if they're out there, Batman's got to be out there, and the fact that. He is is great, and to hear Barry and Oliver say his name and acknowledge him was fantastic. And I like how Oliver thought Batman was just a legend and a myth because he wants to pretty much be the first or recognized as the first vigilante <laughs> there was. But in reality, of the stuff that was hinted in this episode, that's not the case. Batman has been doing it longer than he has. So interesting twist to how they sort of say it, where uh, where it's sort of like. It was a myth created by the GCPD to, yeah. mm-hmm. to get criminals to be scared. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I thought that was a really great twist. Another thing, too, is I wish they... I mean, I know we're only in Gotham for like 20 minutes, <laughs> it seems <laughs> like. But it looks just like... Uh, where's Arrow from? Uh, Star City? No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, Star no, City, yeah, right? Um, it looks just like Star City. Um, I... I, I I know it's the same areas that they shoot in Toronto. Actually, uh, it's not. It's not? No, they actually filmed in Chicago oh. for the Gotham sequences. It looks exactly the same. Because <laughs> like, I was going to say. Where they shoot Arrow in um, Toronto. Because <laughs> I was going to say, I did like how Gotham did look a little different than what we're used to in Arrow and Flash. Maybe because I've watched every single episode since the beginning. I'm familiar <laughs> with how those locations look. That Gotham yeah. did look different enough to establish itself as a city that is definitely more run down and crime infested than star city ever is. And I liked how they established that, but like Gotham's on a whole nother level than like the crime and that star city was having the need for Batman and all that. So I loved all that. And I was curious to how they would acknowledge first off, if they would acknowledge Batman and if they did, how would they explain we haven't heard of him by watching arrow and flash all these years. And they went with a route that, you know, wasn't too surprising but one that i'm glad they went with was just that he's been missing for a few years and they don't know where he's at yeah it's some might think it as a cop-out or too easy of an explanation but there's really not much else you can do if you want to establish batman into this universe so late in the game i think you just gotta go for something so easy and not too complicated he's been missing um i think we're gonna get the answer to where he's been and i think he's gonna be showing up in this universe not too long. I'll get to that later at the end. But no, I did like how they brought in Gotham Batman in, into the Arrowverse finally, because like I said, early on in the early days of Arrow, it was just something I've always wanted to see. And the fact that we're finally getting it, I thought was awesome that these characters are finally they're bringing in the bigger. I shouldn't say bigger, the biggest parts of the DC universe with Superman and Batman into their world. And I just think that's awesome. And hopefully this gets bigger and better from here on out. Hey, Tim, were you getting a, a 
Batman 89, Batman Returns vibe from uh, Gotham. Especially in, um, uh, well, first, uh, Batwoman's theme. Uh, I'll definitely say, played. definitely more Batman 89 than Returns, I'll say. But. Yeah, yeah, and then you get the um, uh, the scene in, uh, was it, is that Wayne Tower? It is, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. The, the inside of Wayne Tower in uh, Bruce's office? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I sort of got the 89 slash Returns feel. No, I could definitely... Yeah, I got that too. I don't understand what you mean. Yeah. And even even though it wasn't Batman eighty nine, there was a fun Adam West Easter egg though in there when Supergirl's looking at like the boxes in oh, Bruce's right. office of the Shakespeare bust. <laughs> the old bard, great. I think she says, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool Easter eggs. I mean, there was that I think it was at the end of this episode or was it the middle, but you see some police officers call out we're on the streets of nolan and burton like repeat nolan and burton <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which is a nice little yeah, there, the there's the name tag and i think it's one of the producers of all these wb i mean uh, cw shows uh the m guggenheim yeah yeah mm-hmm. one of the inmates at arkham, <laughs> the inmates at arkham yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was another cool thing to see i knew we weren't going to see any of those villains but just seeing their names knowing that they're out there was was cool to see we got a little other visual hints you saw Bane's mask from The Dark Knight Rises, yeah, uh, be in there. I love seeing Scarecrow's fear toxin not only see it but be put to use against Barry and Oliver. Deceiving the fear toxin be exposed to that, and seeing their greatest fears of their greatest enemies with Oliver fighting Reverse Flash because he's the Flash and Barry fighting Malcolm Merlin because he's Green Arrow. So and then kind of just finding more about the other person through their villains in a way, just knowing how much each other has been through through that. So I loved yeah. all that stuff. Tim, you missed one. Mr. Freeze's gun. That's right. And yeah. Mr. Freeze's wife, Nora. Nora, was right. <laughs> played by Stephen Amell's wife. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that oh, her, that's weird. Yeah, first role in the Arrowverse, he's playing Nora Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> so so let me get this straight. Um, I totally forget her name. Like Amber. Is it Amber? Um, um, Which character are you talking Barry's about? friend. Uh uh, Killer Frost? Killer Frost, right. Yeah, Caitlin Snow. Caitlin is Snow, yeah. right. <laughs> Amber. <laughs> what am I saying? Uh, <laughs> um, so she is Killer Frost, but she can turn it off. Yeah. Mm. Okay. It was like the, a lot of season three was her kind of dealing with that other persona of Killer Frost and controlling it. And because yeah. sometimes it would just come out will. And now in season four, and then she lost it at the end of season three and she just got it back. Or I should say season four because we're on season five now, yeah. <laughs> which is hard to believe. But yeah, she just got it back not too long ago in season five, and that it's okay. it's not really a metahuman ability. It was she was experimented experimented on by her father because her father had a disease he was trying to cure, and he put that in himself, and he was you know did it on his daughter too, so she would you know wouldn't have that disease as well. That's how Killer Frost came to be. Okay, and Felicity is mar- married to Oliver. Yeah, still, what did that happen? Uh, another one of the worst parts about last year's crossover, <laughs> because last year's crossover was all centered around Barry and uh, Iris getting married, 
and they had a big wedding, but then the invasion happened with the other Earth. Then at the end, Barry and Iris wanted to, you know, still finish off their marriage. That was a good way to cap off the episode. But then Felicity butts in, hey, Oliver, let's get married too, right with them. And I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> like butting in on their big moment? And they're, uh, that's still the weakest part of anything. The Arrow, the crossovers, the Felicity-Oliver relationship continues to bond things down. <laughs> Hated yeah, it from the beginning, and it's only gotten worse. I, I didn't really know what was going on because you're better off not knowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I thought they were just dating. I thought they were just in a relationship. I didn't think they were married. And then you, you, they they throw all this stuff at you, like, oh, you know, I am mad at you. And then barely Barry was was telling Oliver, like, oh, you shouldn't wait to apologize or something? Yeah. Like, yeah, really, like, like what? why are they mad at each other again? Oliver's been in jail most of the season. He's and, been in prison. Yeah. And Felicity's going down the more darker path, wanting to protect herself from the villain from last year who's put Oliver in jail and still threatening them. She's, you know, she got a gun, was threatened to kill him, almost killed the main villain, and Oliver's seeing this new side of Felicity that's not sitting well okay, with okay, him. Okay, 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 Tim. Okay, that's, that's good, good for me. <laughs> See, I told yeah. you. Uh, why can't she just be a character by herself? I know. Ever since the beginning, her their relationship felt so forced and just yeah. fan, like fan-servicing on the worst level. And it's like... <laughs> and then they broke up in season five. Season five was great, but then they got back together. It's like, no... <laughs> got a good thing going <laughs> so yeah that's still probably the weakest part of this crossover that one little one it was the short what thankfully wasn't the crux of the episode but yeah. just that little moment with listening all over again it's like nah <laughs> you're so close to being perfect this episode <laughs> well i was confused tim yeah <laughs> well i'm not sure i could say glad to clear it up for you because you like i said you're better off not knowing <laughs> yeah yeah that um Okay, so she got a gun and she tried to kill the main villain. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe she should just be written as her own character, a smart character, and she does her own thing instead of trying to, like, force her into this sort of arrow thing, you know? Well, she was fine in season one and two. She was perfect, and I had no problem with her then. It's just whenever her and Oliver became a <laughs> couple is where things were, like, her characters went, man, it just became real annoying. <laughs> Oh, well. So, yeah. Anyway, th- anyway, th- anyway th- Thankfully, <laughs> like I said, it wasn't the crux of this whole crossover, kind of like how it was in last year's. Yeah. And I guess the last really cool thing I dug in part two was at the very end when uh, the 1990 Flash comes into the Air Universe to warn him. And he sees Diggle and he goes, hey, John, how can you not wearing your ring? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that. I was like, when did Diggle become John Stewart? Yeah, because <laughs> that was always like – a fan speculation. I wouldn't say rumor because it was just, I think a fan theory and fans, something that fans thought would be cool to see. And that was, I guess a nice little nod to those early days when everyone thought, Hey, maybe John Diggle could become John Stewart and be a green lantern. But apparently on that Barry's earth, he is the green lantern. So if we ever go back there, I want to, (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we go back there and then we see Diggle as a green lantern. That would be pretty cool. Oh, that's, that would be, that would, that would bring me back to these shows, Tim. <laughs> if uh, Diggle became John Stewart, <laughs> it might happen. Like I said, I'll get to that at the end. <laughs> but so this episode ends. We see they try to go up against the monitor, but he sends the 1990 Flash back to his universe, and 
he messes with time again where Oliver and Barry are criminals, the trigger twins. I don't know if you remember those cowboy twin Batman villains. I remember reading them in like the first night quest comic series where John Paul Valley's Batman went up against them. They're like one of the first villains. I remember him going up against So Vaguely, uh, vaguely. I remember that. Yeah. So that was a nice little reference there. Yeah. And so you didn't see the next episode, right? No, but I, I wanted to ask you who, who was that cop that Oliver knocked out? Um, there was three of them. One of them was, uh, cause at the beginning of the episode, you saw Deathstroke's son, Jericho, yeah, I think he was a cop, and then um, you saw the villain from Arrow last year. That was the one who handcuffed Oliver, I believe. So he was like the main villain from season six, and he's yeah. still playing a role in season seven. So that was him. Also, and, he's in uh, the the Apes movies. Yeah, uh-huh. which is really yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think who was the third cop. It was another familiar villain. Who was it now? Was it Malcolm Merlin? I think it was Merlin. No, no, I don't think it was because was I would have been like, hey, that's. Yeah, I'm blanking on the third cop, but <laughs> those uh, there are definitely previous characters that we've seen before. And I then so, I, I, I might have been uh I might have been not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> so then the episode ends with Superman in a black costume coming to Earth and you know threatening Oliver and Barry. And that's where the episode ends. And the third episode picks up where we find out that John Deegan the Arkham Doctor, the one messing with the universe, made himself Superman. <laughs> and now, to, as the monitor told him, he needed to go bigger. And so he went as big as he could with becoming Superman. And so th- this episode was the weaker of the three, in my opinion. But it was still, that's some great moments and a satisfying conclusion to it all, I thought, where it didn't ruin the crossover. But some things that I th- thought kind of held it back was, you know, Superman, again, came, comes back in the mix in this episode to take down Deacon as Superman. And it kind of, as cool as it was to see the Superman fight, you could tell the budget maybe kind of ran out <laughs> a little bit in this episode. The effects weren't really that great. I've seen Superman fight an evil Superman. Uh, you could really see a lot of the green or blue screen <laughs> effects going on there. Kind of worse than usual. I just, uh, this took, a, took me out of it a little bit, realizing <laughs> how bad it looked, which was unfortunate. Uh, so, But then the episode, how everything's kind of wrap up, is that they're teasing, you know, the big moment from Crisis on Infinite Earths where Barry and Supergirl die in that story because uh, they have to stop Deegan from rewriting history with that book. And they figure, hey, let's slow down time, slow it, slow it down enough so Superman can take the take him down, take the book and stop him. And so Barry and Supergirl are going to do that by like going in opposite directions in the rotation of the Earth to slow down time. They realize if Superman tells them, hey, if you do that, you guys are going to die. And, of course, you know, being heroes that they are, they're going to make the ultimate sacrifice. And then we even got uh, glimpses of the future that see them, see them like burn up as they're running at Barry's running at super speed and cars flying at super speed. You see him burning up and just bursting into flames pretty much. And so to stop that from happening, Oliver wants to try to change their fate. And he goes to meet with the monitor and we see him confront the monitor and this is revealed to be like all a test. The monitor is doing this on each Earth as a test to see which heroes have what it takes to stand up against, you know, a threat like this. Because an even bigger threat, he says, is coming and he needs to find the best of the best. And, of course, we know that's probably going to be the anti-monitor. And so um, he sees potential in this Earth, but, you know, at the same time saying there's still much you guys got to do. <laughs> and so Oliver goes to confront him and 
to see if there's anything that can be done to save Barry and Kara. And he pretty much makes a deal with him, but we don't see what that deal is. That's definitely something that's probably going to come back down the line in the future. So um, pretty much to make a long story short, they're successful, of course. They're, their plan works. They slow down time a little bit. They were able to stop uh, Deegan from destroying or rewriting history. Superman's able to take him down, get the book, and make things right again and put everything back to normal. And it's a happy ending <laughs> for the most part. But the big thing is that the tease we got at the end of the episode where all we got – because things end on a happy note. Superman, Supergirl, Lois, they all go back to their Earth. And then it gets revealed that um, Lois is pregnant. And that Superman and her are going to live on uh, the planet it's Ar- Argo, I think it was. It was a plot point in season three where there were some surviving Kryptonians that you know kind of made this their own colony where they're living on. And then Superman and Lois are going to take uh, – they're going to go over there and raise their baby there the first year. So Superman's pretty much leaving their Earth in the hands of Supergirl. And, and then at the end, uh, Superman proposes to Lois. And we don't actually see them leave their Earth, but it's implied that that's what they're going to do. And the reason why we probably won't see Superman for a long time. And then at the very end, we get the tease. We don't get any footage of anything. We just get the title card that says, Crisis on Infinite Earths coming in 2019. So <laughs> they're they're going for it, which I'm surprised. I mean, they're going to go full-blown crisis. And man, I, I'm like excited and a little nervous because like I was saying about last year's crossover, it looks like they bit off a little more they can chew and trying to go too big for what they could do on a TV budget. And man, if you're going to do Crisis on Infinite Earths, it's going to be a lot bigger than the Crisis on Earth X <laughs> episodes from 2017. And you, you got to deliver on it if you're going to do this story. And this is what I was saying about certain characters making appearance here. We're talking about Green Lantern, John Diggle as Green Lantern. He could show up in this because Crisis on Infinite Earths, you get those different heroes from the different Earths involved in that story. And you could see John Diggle as a Green Lantern. That would be a good way to use him because I don't think Diggle, the one we know, is would be able to be much of a factor in it. So why not just have some fun and bring in that Green Lantern version of him, which would be really cool. And I think this is probably where we're going to see Batman make his Arrowverse debut here. Maybe it's this is a reason why Batman has been missing. He's involved with the monitor. The monitor chose him early on or something. I think he's going to play a big factor in that. So all that stuff is exciting. And I also think it can mark some big changes for the Arrowverse and the CW shows. I think for one thing, that's probably going to happen. Just like in the comics, it's probably going to encompass all the different Earths into one. So Supergirl can finally be part of the Flash and Arrow's Earth instead of jumping through you know wormholes and going to different Earths. They could all just be in the same Earth now. I think that would make things a lot easier. I'll be shocked, actually, if that doesn't happen. But I think it could mark some big changes or maybe even endings for some of these series. I mean, I could totally see Arrow Season 8 being its final season. And going back to that deal I, I was talking about with Oliver making with the Monitor to save Barry and Kara, maybe it's something where... It's going to cost him his life during the crisis, and that's going to be the end of Arrow. <laughs> the series will end like that, or Oliver will be dead, and maybe the series will continue on with someone else. I don't know, but big changes are going to come in for Arrow, I think, next year. It's, it's going to we're going to look back at this crossover as the beginning of you know planting the seeds for whatever is going to happen to Oliver in this crossover of Elseworld. So, yeah, and then the big things that they hinted at it with this, like I was talking about with Supergirl and Barry. You know, they die in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Are they going to really be faithful to 
those big moments in that storyline and actually do that no. for Barry and Supergirl? No way. <laughs> no way. Because if you think about it, Flash would be on season six. That's a pretty good run. There's other speedsters, you know, in the Flash family that could take up the mantle. Like, But they actually have another Flash for the series for a little bit. I don't think that wouldn't be the biggest surprise to me. And then with Supergirl, well, that would be its fifth season. Will that continue on? Or will they kind of switch it over to a Superman and Lois TV show, which there's been some rumblings about lately. And that, like I said, even though at the end they said they were going to take some time off and be on that other planet, they're going to be back for a crisis. They have to. So I can see that happening as well. So just a lot of different possibilities that can happen from Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is exciting. But at the same time, got to keep my expectations in check. Because, again, it is a TV show budget. It's uh, you know, it's not going to be expecting stuff we see in the movies. So got to keep your in check expectations in check somewhat. But it's hard not to be excited when you're a big DC fan and they're actually tackling one of DC's biggest stories. So hopefully they could pull it off well. I'm definitely going to be anxious to see how it's going to be done. And I get the feeling, too, it's not going to just be you know, a three-episode or four-episode crossover like this. I can see some as big as Crisis on Infinite Earths being, you know, a season long or like a half a season long arc, like maybe the first half of all these series has to deal with Crisis on Infinite Earths. Then in the second half, they'll deal with the aftermath of that and probably new status quo for a lot of things. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting. But just going back to these three Elseworlds episodes, I thought they were great. Lots of fun. Loved how they brought in the Batman mythos. Batwoman was handled well. And just uh, seeing Barry Oliver and Supergirl interact with Superman was great. And you know, mentioning Batman, having all the Gotham Batman mythos be part of the universe now was great to see. So I loved it. I thought it was the best crossover yet. So if I had to rate it, I'd give it a four out of five. I thought they did a really great job with it. Yeah, I'm looking at all this. Uh, why people didn't like uh, Ruby Rose? Okay. Yeah. What'd you find? Um, apparently, she doesn't. Uh, it, it's mostly her acting ability. And the the fact that she plays a, you know, a, a lesbian character, and she doesn't really identify with that. I thought so, she was though. Yeah, she. Well, she said she's gender fluid. Okay. So <laughs> I, I I guess that doesn't really mm. translate with that sort of community, right? So. Okay. It's that, and the fact that they don't think she's a good actress, but. <laughs> But whatever, um, as somebody that, you know, can't really criticize an actor and somebody that's not part of the, you know, lesbian community, I guess, uh, I thought she did a really good, great job. And, you know, if, if this is going to be the pilot and, or the, the, the precursor to the pilot and she's going to get her own show, I'm totally happy with that. I yeah, have hey. zero problem with that. And hey, you can always get better as an actress or an actor too. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is just the first step and it's getting her a new series. So she can always get better at it too for those who aren't happy with it. But like you, I thought she was fine in yeah. this one appearance here. So I'm looking forward to see what she does with the role once the series comes out. Um, I'd probably give it a four out of five too. Mm. I, I really like the humor uh, when they when they're in Gotham. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But, Sometimes their humor is, can be eye roll inducing, but it wasn't in these episodes, which is what I love. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it for our featured topic, um, and now we can move on to our news, news and discussion topics. 
the first one is that uh, actor Chris Messina, not Mike Messina. Yeah. <laughs> I that's the first thing I thought yeah. of when I saw him last day. Like, oh, almost looked like Messina. <laughs> Still not in the Hall of Fame for some reason. He he will be. He might get yeah. in this year, but if not, definitely next year because he's not like sixty. It's over sixty five. Like between sixty five and seventy. Oh yeah, yeah. He's gonna get it in there. Yeah. Uh, so actor Chris Messina, not Chris Sale, Tim. <laughs> I don't care about Chris Sale. <laughs> um, he is uh, cast as Zaz on the Bird, Birds of Prey film slash. What wolves? Oh, you gotta say the whole name. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, Birds of Prey or the Emancipation of Harley Quinn. Right? Yeah, I think it's longer than that, but yeah, that's the big portion. See, even in the Hollywood Reporter article, they don't call it the title. <laughs> it just says Birds of Prey. <laughs> no, but yeah, it'll be cool to see Zaz again. It's funny, a villain like Zaz is now, this is going to be the third actor who's played him. <laughs> He's been in three live action. The first in Batman Begins. He's been in Gotham. But both of those versions, he's bald. And, you know, there's been versions like Arkham games he was bald and there's comic stories he's bald. But the Zass I always know and remember is from how he was in Nightfall where he had the blonde hair. So hopefully this one will go with that look where he has you know, full-blown blonde hair, more of the scars shown too because it was kind of hard to make out the scars in Batman Begins. They were there, but they need to be, you know, standing out a little more, I think. But it'll be cool to see having him and then with Black Mask as the villain so yeah just another thing to look forward to and birds of prey and oh actually at the bottom of the article it says the full title yeah, birds, birds of prey, of prey. yeah and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn so i guess that's, oh, that's, great. that's <laughs> such a great title uh, it doesn't stick with you but <laughs> it's a great title certain words stick with you but not the yeah. whole thing <laughs> Um, and our second piece of news too the big now, i have been waiting for this for my <laughs> entire life Never mind the Batman movie, never mind the Green Lantern movie, or the Flash movie, or the Justice League movie, or the Batman vs. Superman movie, because we are getting a Plastic Man movie, Tim. Finally. It's happening, Dave. It's, it's happening. happening. <laughs> it's Dreams finally, do come true. finally happening. Um, I don't know who Amanda Idoko is. But I love her <laughs> because yes. she is the screenwriter. She's going to be the screenwriter for Plastic Man. Can you believe it, Dane? No, Can you I believe can't. it? Since Finally. the early days of our episodes, you've been talking about this. <laughs> Finally, my dreams are coming true, Tim. To see a man stretch his arms around and his legs and his body on screen. <laughs> and- with one of the greatest costumes in comics, too. I mean, you see the picture of his red tights <laughs> and the sunglasses. How awesome is it going to be seeing that in the big screen? Short, short tights, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With sunglasses. Uh, it's going to be awesome. I mean, they're saying it's going to be you know, a comedy superhero movie, which is, of course, the route you have to go with Plastic Man. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think they said... You, you can't make him like Batman. I mean, you can't... You can't do the Batman formula because it didn't work for Superman. So, of course it's going to be a comedy. I mean, yeah. how else can you make a Plastic Man movie? <laughs> I know. <laughs> As like a serious, like deep drama, you know, like 
I'm sure there'll be moments though where he like pokes fun maybe at like the dark and serious like size of the DC universe with Batman. Maybe he'll like make himself look like Batman for a moment and do his like deep voice. Yeah. And that. <laughs> so I could see Plastic Man totally doing that. Yeah. So uh, definitely excited for this one. Never mind Aquaman. I know you're gonna go see the movie, Tim, but never mind that movie. And now all I'm going to be thinking is about Plastic Man while I'm sitting there at the theater watching Aquaman. It's like, oh, this is awesome. But, man, it's not going to hold the candle to when Plastic Man comes out. Exactly. And surprisingly, um, Aquaman getting good reviews. Yeah. Uh, I think it's at like a 75 mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's the last I checked it was. Yeah, and yeah. So, I don't yeah, know. I'm looking forward to it. Got to wait for the Tim review. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that's it for our news and discussion. And now we can move on to Jordan's email, a conversation with Alex slash listener feedback. And uh, Tim, do you want to read it? Yep. Got Jordan's email up right here. It says, hey, my bat brothers, I loved your discussion about favorite video game soundtracks. My top five are number five, Teen Titans. It's the one classic style score on my list. I love how it includes a version of the Batastic theme from the TV show. And I really feel the score fits the game. Number four, Batman Arkham City. There are a ton of really exciting and emotional tracks on the score. Number three, Batman The Enemy Within. They changed the main theme for this game, but it's still a Batastic and worthy successor to their first game. Number two, Batman Arkham Origins. Bringing in Christopher Drake for the score, who has done so so much Batastic work on many of the DCU AOM films, was a Batastic decision. And I love his incorporation of Christmas music like Carol of the Bells into the score which really enhances the Christmas atmosphere of the game that I love so much. The number one, Batman the Telltale series. The main theme for this game gives me chills every time. I hear it, and it is one of my favorite Batman themes ever. When I played the game, each time I launched it, and that theme started playing, I was just sucked in immediately. Yeah, I remember the first Telltale game having a good menu theme and just a good theme overall, but it's been a while since... I've heard it. I probably have to go back and revisit it. That being your number one cho- choice, Jordan, because I remember it being good. But now with hearing it saying it's one of your favorite Batman themes ever, I should probably revisit it and check it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about the uh, the Arkham game uh, menu screens. Mm-hmm. The dynamic menu the Arkham... screens with the yeah. Uh, the menu screens never really stood out to me that much. And again, maybe it's something more because I haven't played them in so long. And I actually yeah. just got the remastered versions because they're like five bucks on. Uh, black friday's sale like xbox was having yeah so for both games like there were five bucks like i gotta get them <laughs> they're remastered <laughs> so eventually i'll probably want to replay them again and revisit those themes but the scores were always good on yeah. all those games hey tim let me ask you is arkham knight on xbox uh-huh yeah okay because on ps4 i believe you can only play it um on the playstation now service the streaming game service Really? Yeah, I think so. You can't buy it on the store. I don't. Th- uh, only for PS3, I think. But it, it didn't even come out on PS3 though. Wait, no, no, uh, Arkham- not, not Arkham Knight. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the first one, Arkham uh, Origins. 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 Okay. Yeah, sorry. Mm, that I'm not sure on. I'm not sure if that's backwards compatible on the Xbox. I never actually looked for it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Because that's still a game you got to beat, Dana. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, and I wanted to, and I was looking for it, but I think you can only get it on the PlayStation Now, which is yeah, unfortunate because... You might be able to download it through that. If you have an Xbox One, you might be able to download it through their backwards uh, compatibility catalog they have up there. So, uh, 
don't I'll know. Look. It's it's on Xbox. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll look next time I turn it on. I'll let you know. <laughs> you know, Xbox is is the inferior uh, oh, console no. to to the PS4. You said superior, right? Because that no, is no, no. definitely correct. <laughs> no, definitely inferior. <laughs> well, the Switch is superior to all of them. It's that controller, man. That controller, <laughs> like ah. I'm so used to it. Well, Xbox controllers come a long way since their very first one. Yeah. That big fat brick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was one of the worst controller designs ever. Oh, yeah, and you mentioned the Switch. I, I think it was last week. I almost I came so close to buying one, Tim, because I know you should have. Yeah, because of Smash Brothers. Like, ah. Smash Brothers is awesome. I know you'll love Zelda. So. Yeah. There's definitely games I know you'll like if you get one. You gotta make another Mario game. And then I, uh, I will definitely buy one. Oh, there's Mario Odyssey. That game was awesome. Really? Yeah. Oh, there was? was like, there, there is one for Switch? Yeah, it came out last year. I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah, it's really, really good. Is it, it, is it like the classic uh, Mario where it's just stages, or is it like the uh, N64 where it, it's no, like it's, it's more around? Yeah, it's more like the N64. Hmm. Yeah, it's really, really good. That's why I love it so much. It was like the first one in a while that really took me back to the like glory days of the N64 game, which is one of my favorite games of all time. So. I'm going to have to... You know what? This podcast is over. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I'm going to go look at these videos. Yeah, Dave's going to be getting a switch. So. <laughs> Uh, but Jordan continues in his email saying, usually I send, I tend to share Tim's opinion when it comes to things which you guys disagree on. But with regards to the full title for Birds of Prey, I'm with Dane this time. It's so Harley Quinn in my opinion. It reminds me of how for Batman Day in 2017, they had Harley take it over. And for the logo that year, they had Batman Day crossed out with Harley Quinn Day, written on top of it as if Harley had done that herself. By the way, I just wanted to ask Tim if he's seen the Batman episode, The Breakout, yet. No rush, but please share your thoughts when you do, as I'm really eager to hear them. Yeah, sorry, Jordan, I haven't yet. I actually now got to look to see if I can find it anywhere, because I know the Batman used to be on Netflix, but I know once DC Universe came out, I'm not any of the DC shows are still on like Amazon or Netflix anymore, so I might just have to check YouTube to see. <laughs> sometimes they have full episodes, sometimes they don't. If not, I'll just have to wait till I get my DC Universe subscription. Which again, I'm gonna be banging that drum till they do it. Put it on consoles. Come on, every episode I'm saying it, and it's still not here. <laughs> Let's say 2019, I think. But when, especially with Titans is wrapping up, it's like <laughs> I just want to watch this stuff on my TV. <laughs> That's funny when you said um, 2019. Yeah, but when? <laughs> <laughs> December uh, 30, all... December 31st, 2019. Uh, over a year. <laughs> Don't say that, Dane. Please don't. <laughs> it better be early 2019. Yeah. for Young Justice. And I'm tempted now because I think they're having a holiday sale where you can get a subscription for like three months for like only four bucks a month. So I was like, oh man, should I do that? <laughs> pay that much for the have stuff just watching on my iPad? Yeah, I was about to say, you have an iPad, you have a bigger screen. So. Yeah. When I wanted to watch stuff, especially when it's like a new DC TV show with, that focuses a lot on Dick Grayson and Batman and stuff, I want to see it on my TV for the first time, not on my uh. small iPad screen. <laughs> <laughs> but it might come to that. It's like getting closer and closer. But I guess. Yeah, well, I'll definitely still keep that in mind and let you know, Jordan, when I see the breakout yet because you definitely 
maybe curious to check it out with how the portrayal of Black Mass was in that one, the more serious take. So I'll definitely let you know. But he says, personally, I love the look of Shane, we- Shane West's Bane on Gotham. To me, it feels like a blend of Tom Hardy's Bane and Michael Callan's Metallo, both of which I love. I can't wait to see what Gotham does with the character, especially given that the show's portrayal of Batman's rogues gallery has always been one of its absolute best aspects. Yeah, they just wrapped up production on Gotham this week. Saw a lot of tweets from the actors and like the main show's Twitter handles, you know, like the rap party and all that stuff. So Gotham is officially done, and it's coming back the first week of January, I believe. Uh, I think Jordan said that in his last email when it's returning. So yeah, about 13 episodes. So we'll see how it all wraps up. But Jordan wraps up his email by saying, with a couple of questions, as always, and he goes, um, talking about the Telltale Batman theme got me thinking it would be cool to ask, what are your top five favorite Batman themes? Mine are, number five, the updated theme from the Adventures of Batman and Robin intro. Number four, the Batman the Telltale series game. Number three, the Batman season three to season five theme two, or I should say season three to season five theme. And then number two, uh, the Batman season one through season two theme. And then number one, the Dark Knight trilogy theme. So, yeah, Batman, tons of great themes to choose from. And But number one, well, actually, as I like to do, I got to go from my number five to my number one pick. So um, number five for me is going to be the Batman, the season one and season two theme. Uh, even though I haven't seen very many episodes of the Batman, I always loved that theme song by the edge. It's just that electric guitar, but it still fits the character of Batman. I felt and it's catchy. That'll get stuck in your head. The number four, I'm going to go with the dark Knight trilogy theme, uh, a simple, but yet perfect Batman theme that fix or perfectly fits with that version of the character and the world. No one created It's It's great. It, it's like I said, simple. You wouldn't think it'd stick with you when you hear it, but it does. <laughs> and I think that's, what's great about it. Then number three, as some, wherever we're talking about Batman music, I cannot talk about this. You're probably sick of me always mentioning it, but the Batman NES theme, I'm always going to be <laughs> mentioning that because it is so good. I love it so much. So yet another episode where I mention it, and it is number three as one of my all-time favorite Batman themes. It is that good. It is all its 8-bit MIDI gloriness. <laughs> the number two, Batman the Animated Series theme. And number one, Batman 89, it's always going to be Batman 89 for me. It's just so iconic. Nothing I feel perfectly fits the character and music more than what Danny Elfman created for that movie. So, yeah, those are my top five favorite Batman themes. Uh, for me, uh, fifth, uh, my fifth choice is going to be uh, the Batman Beyond theme. Number four is going to be... That is a good one. Yeah. Really good. <laughs> uh, number four is going to be... Uh, can I do a non-Batman one? <laughs> Does it somewhat fit in Batman, though? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, the Wonder Woman theme. Okay. Well, it was in Batman versus Superman. So. Yeah. Uh, number three is going to be the the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy themes. Number two is going to be the 89. And number one, Tim, because apparently you're not a big fan of it. Because you didn't put it as your number one. Uh, <laughs> you're going to make me feel like a bad animated series fan, aren't <laughs> is you? the animated series theme. See, I had it at my number two, but the reason I 
the Batman 1989 theme kind of inspired that whole theme for Batman in the animated series. It's different, yes, but they incorporated certain aspects from the 1989 theme, which is why I got to put that as number one, because I don't think we would have that great of an animated series theme without Danny Elfman's classic theme. Plus, two were probably different because my first or the first time I heard that theme was the animated series. I didn't hear Mm -hmm. I I didn't see the movie until after I had watched the animated. Gotcha. So that makes sense. Yeah. And in fact, I remember being like, like, hey, they, they, they used the animated theme for the, the Batman 89 movie. <laughs> <laughs> they went backwards in this they game. They went backwards. <laughs> but Jordan's second question is, who are your top five favorite members of the Bat family? And what is your favorite iteration of each? For me, it's number five, Tim Drake. And his favorite iteration is the DC animated universe. Number four, Dick Grayson, favorite iteration, The Batman. Number three, Barbara Gordon, his favorite iteration is The Batman as well. Number two, Selena Kyle, his favorite iteration from The Dark Knight trilogy. And number one, Bruce Wayne, favorite iteration, The Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with number five, Alfred. I mean, the father figure of the Bat family who's always been there for everybody. And my favorite version, probably going to give the edge to the animated series, uh, just because I just love how that version of Alfred really was the father figure who's been there since Bruce's birth and for, for his whole life. And not every version of Alfred is like that. But I got to give another nod to Michael Caine's Alfred, one of the best live action ones. who also had that storyline where he's been there from Bruce's birth and as a child, too. So, But the animated series gets the slight edge. Number four, I'm going to go Cassandra Caine. And my favorite iteration is going to be the pre-New 52 version of the character when she was Batgirl. Just loved her origin story and just how she came to be part of the Bat family. Even though the character in Rebirth was great too. They did it, especially what James Tinian did with her in Detective Comics. But I still prefer the pre-New 52 version. Number three, I'm going to go with Tim Drake. And I'm going to go with the pre-New 52 version as well. From those early days, first reading of the character in Nightfall. And those early uh, 90s comics, like the pinnacle of Tim Drake stories for me and always loved them. And again, the one who brought about the most iconic Robin costume ever. So (laughs) I got to give an extra point there for that comics version. And then number two, I'm going to go Dick Grayson. My favorite version is Batman, the animated series. And then no surprise, but also number one, like you, Jordan, is Bruce Wayne. Also Batman, the animated series as my favorite version of the character shocker i know but <laughs> those are my top five favorite bat family members uh for me i'm gonna put a little spin on it where it's just, it's not gonna be my fa- favorite characters um but they're iterations right okay so uh number five is gonna be uh, tom hardy's bane because okay. i don't know it's it's a bit underrated people don't talk about it enough um Number I would four, agree with that. Uh, number four, uh, I'm going to go with a slightly different one because, and I just want to say I don't agree with, with this Batman's politics. <laughs> uh, that's going to be the Dark Knight Returns um, uh, Batman. I, I, For some reason, I just like the simple design of it. Mm. Um, looks awful in uh, the Arkham games. I don't know if you ever played with <laughs> yeah. that skin, but I rarely do. But I, you know, of course, selected it a few times on Switch to another <laughs> one, like the Batman Beyond costume, really quick. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I said, it doesn't look good in that game. 
but I do like the whole King Batman, Heart Attack Batman, as I like to call him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number three, uh, Gordon from the Dark Knight trilogy. Number two, uh, Alfred from uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. And number one, hmm. see, it's it, it's a tie, Tim. Between, but I think I I think I know who number one is okay. or one of your choices, but I'll let's see if I'm right. No, is go it, ahead. Yeah, is it Stephanie Brown? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then my other choice is what thought you're debating with Kate Kane. Yeah, I was about okay. to say we were just talking about her. <laughs> is uh, Kate Kane um, from uh, the uh, the J H Williams? And I was going to say Greca. it can't be anything else. <laughs> No, it's the 1950s that woman. (laughs) (laughs) Should have realized. Did did she do the PSAs or was that Bad Girl? Yeah, I don't even remember or know. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was Bad Girl. Like, oh, make sure to support your public library. I think think it was Bad Girl. Maybe it was both. I don't know. But that's it for Jordan's question. And then he just wraps up his email by saying, Bat Cat Forever from the first kiss to the last. Your Bat Brother, Bat Jordan. So yeah, going back to the Bat Cat close to his ending. It's been the Klana one for a little bit, but now we're back to Bat Cat. So Well, Bat Cat is no longer, so For now. We never know if James, uh, Tom King's run ain't over yet, so <laughs> we'll see where it is. Just don't just don't make it a big thing and then Oh, we're not getting married. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if they do that twice, no. <laughs> I don't think he's you know capable of doing that. Right. But yeah. as always, thanks for your email, Jordan, and we'll of course look forward to more of them in 2019. Yeah. So uh, now we can move on to our comic book reviews, and uh, we only have one for this episode. That's Batman number 60. Um, and what is going to be our rating scale, Tim? How about? Porkins theories, conspiracies for episode nine. Yeah, Porkins conspiracy <laughs> or, theories. Yeah, or survival conspiracy theories for yeah. episode nine. <laughs> he could have survived, Tim. He could have survived. Okay. Anything's possible. I mean, we're in the future, but a long time ago. And again, I'm yeah. far away. <laughs> exactly. So, so. so you, you would think that they would have the escape pod down by then. <laughs> yeah, Anakin is looking for a way to keep people from dying. Maybe that secret will be discovered in episode nine. But of all the characters they bring back, it'll be Porkins. It'll be Porkins, <laughs> of course. But anyway, this uh, issue is going to be Batman number 60. And as always, spoilers if you haven't read it yet. But this one's continuing on Tom King's story of, you know, Batman just unhinged. And this issue in particular pretty much focuses on three characters and what they're doing at, you know, the same time. We got. Gordon dealing with the aftermath of Batman punching him in the face and not wanting to have anything to do with Batman. And he's trying to get more details on the recent incidents Batman's had with villains like him beating up Mr. Freeze. So he's going over police reports. Then we see Batman just going out against more of his villains, trying to find information this time about Bane really running Arkham Asylum that everyone's denying. He goes up against uh, Maxi Zeus at the beginning of it. And uh, he later goes up against... um, See, now I'm thinking who else he, he went about. Uh, that's right, Firefly. He didn't look like Firefly that I'm used to in his designs, but he's a little different. But all these villains, they just keep saying the same thing pretty much. Bane is just, you know, he just coddles in his corner crying. He's like, he's no threat. Like, I don't know. We don't know what you're talking about. Bane's not running Arkham. 
Batman is getting rougher and rougher with each of these villains. And then the third uh, storyline we're following is Penguin, who this is pretty interesting where Batman's actually keeping him secured and safe in the Batcave with Alfred watching over him. And Penguin is blindfolded, so he's talking to Alfred, but he doesn't know who he's talking to. And they have some conversation about um, a poem uh, or by uh, Shakespeare, the, Fe- the Phoenix and the Turtle. And they're talking, kind of having a philosophical debate on what it means. And it makes Penguin think back to uh, uh, his girlfriend that he lost, Penny, and just how crushed it made him feel and just how sad he is when we see Penguin cry multiple times in this issue. And Alfred still, you know, being, like I said, the good fatherly figure that he is, be there for Penguin to listen, to offer him tea and whatnot. So, um, the, like I said, the comic goes through those three different scenarios and then it cultivates to, you know, Gordon, like I said, wanting to get more information on these police reports of Batman beating up villains. And he comes to a point where he's, as he gets into the details and this is how he realizes how far gone Batman is and almost like he doesn't know the person anymore. And so he's had enough. We get a familiar visual image that we got in The Dark Knight Rises of, or not Dark Knight Rises, The Dark Knight of Gordon going up to you know GCPD rooftops with the bat signal, and he literally asks one of the detectives for a bat. He takes the bat, and he just smashes the bat signal and just says, no more. He's, he's done with Batman. Of course, this is a different scenario than the Dark Knight where Gordon did it reluctantly, knowing it was a lie, but in this story, Gordon's all about it. He's realizing how far gone Batman is and can't be associated with it anymore. So, and then with Penguin and Alfred, uh, we see Penguin thinking he's talking to Alfred, and there's even a moment where Alfred has to feed Penguin some, you know, raw fish, which <laughs> was an interesting sight to behold. As if Penguin's held up in like this cage, so so no one can get to him. Like I said, he's blindfolded. He's again lamenting the loss of his love, Penny, and as he's saying that, um, he sees he sees someone respond to him, but it's not Alfred, and he just tells Penguin, like, "Don't be afraid." We knew you would do this. We knew you'd tell Bruce Wayne that this is all going according to our plan. You've done well. And Penguin's pleading, like, who is this? No, like, Batman will save me. And we just see the words saying, nope, Batman, like, is already here. And then we flash to Batman returning to the Batcave asking for Alfred. Alfred's not responding. Then he sees Alfred just lying on the floor with a bloody nose. And Bruce just tells him, like, who's here? Like, what happened? And Alfred just goes, Batman, he's here you know your father then the last page is this really cool uh splash page with batman holding alfred then in the background you see the thomas wayne batman so yeah it was a great way to end it on i mean i'm really curious to see how thomas wayne fits into the story and bane's plan because i love the button and just what thomas wayne and what he told bruce meant to bruce after that whole experience and to see bruce come face to face with him and I'm sure going to find out that he's working with Bane. I'm just wondering why Thomas Wayne is doing all this because they just really had a powerful reunion in that button story with Bruce seeing his father for the first time since he's died, which is so powerful. I'm just wondering what could Thomas Wayne do now to ruin all that. So I make this to see what Tom King has in store. It's that storyline with Thomas Wayne. It looks like we're going to get that in the upcoming issue. So, yeah, it's interesting stuff going on. Enjoying it. So I'm going to give this one three and a half out of five jet porkins conspiracy survival conspiracy theories in episode nine okay so he's definitely coming back then yeah <laughs> the odds are looking good <laughs> well yeah that, that that's it from us um thank you for listening this year um yep 
if if you celebrated, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. If you don't, Happy Life Day, Tim. <laughs> yes, Life Day. The, the good old one from Star Wars that we can always go to. But. Yeah, uh, Happy Life Day. Uh, what are you going to do for Life Day? Are you going to watch um, the Christmas special? Or are you going <laughs> to watch the... Uh, the hmm, what else? <laughs> oh, not the, much the, else the, to do with Life the, Day. <laughs> uh, the Ewok um, oh. animated series. Well, I'll gladly watch the Ewok uh, adventure movies, the live action ones. I got those on DVD, so I'm always oh. up for those. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a great life day. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever watched those, Dave? No, I haven't. They might be on YouTube. Just just watch them. Are, <laughs> They're going to be as they... campy and cheesy as you'd expect. But okay, good. You'll good. have a good time. <laughs> good. Um, but yeah, uh, th- thank you for listening. We'll be, good. We'll be back next year um, with a new name. Um, what that so name th- is. We'll we'll find out in 2019. Yeah, well, what is it going to be? Yeah, well, oh, we got like I said, we got a few yeah. weeks to think about it. <laughs> yeah, we have time to think. Um, so yeah, like I said, happy holidays, stay safe, um, and we'll see you guys next year. Um, but go over to BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com/slash/BatmanUniverse, Twitter handles at BatmanUniverse, shows Twitter handles at BatfansPodcast. Tim's Twitter handle is at TimG311. I'll say it since it's the last of the year. Uh, and my Twitter handle is at DaneSysBanana. Um, and you can email the show at BatFansWithoutPants at gmail.com. So with that, like, the, like we say at the end of every single episode, Tim. We love each and every one of you with our bat and jet porkins hearts. <laughs> and life day hearts. Yeah, I should add that too. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys next time. See you next time, everybody, and stay tuned for my Aquaman review. Legend has it that one day, a new king will come. Who will use the power of the trident to put Atlantis back together again. This is the exact spot that Volko gave me my first swimming lesson. I already know how to swim. Not even close. You have to forget all the teaching of the surface world. Go deeper. One cover your Atlantean instincts. He spent his entire life training. Training to be the best. My parents made me what I am. I am the protector of the deep. In this trident resides the power of Atlantis. In the wrong hands, it would bring destruction. But in the hands of the true heir, it would unite above and below. The time has come for Atlantis to rise again. You must stop him. And how do you propose we do that? By retrieving this. I already got one of those. Not like this one you don't. The war is coming to the surface, whether you like it or not. Your mother always knew you were special. If you believed, you'd be the one to unite our two worlds. Atlantis has always had a king. Now I need something more.
But what could be greater than a king? A hero. Hey everybody, just got back from my early screening of Aquaman and I am here to give you my initial thoughts, reaction, and review of the film. And again, this is going to be a spoiler-free review as I know the film doesn't come out till December 20th and actually that's the day when this episode's first going to drop. So if you're listening to this uh, before you go to see Aquaman on the early Thursday night screenings or this weekend, I wanted to make sure I kept it spoiler-free for you guys so you can at least hear my thoughts and still keep unspoiled when you go see the movies. So um, yeah, I guess my first initial reaction after leaving the theater when I saw it was, man, I just thought it was really, really good. And dare I say, borderline great, because I don't like to usually call films great right away unless it's something truly amazing that blows me away. Um, but it usually takes multiple viewings for me to say if a film is really great or ends up being one of my all-time favorites. But um, Aquaman has potential because, man, it really delivered, I feel, on what I thought was shown and promised in those trailers and our first look that we got at it back at Comic-Con of really delivering something that we haven't seen before in a comic book movie or just in these genre action type films before. And I thought James Wan just did a great job of delivering that with uh, the look of Atlantis and the universe he created in there, the creatures, the characters, just all so well done visually bringing something that we've never seen on the screen. And it just looked great for the most part too. So yeah, on that front, Aquaman delivered. And yeah, just one thing that really jumped out to me as I was watching the movie is that it was just so cool seeing these characters and creatures and worlds be brought to life in live action for the first time that I've only seen in either reading on comic book pages or in animated series or movies. And seeing them done in live action was just awesome to see. That happened multiple times when I was watching the movie. I mean, just seeing the world of Atlantis be brought to life looking great and all the creatures, inhabitants, the sea creatures and monsters there, it all looked great. But then you go into characters and that we've seen or like I said, seen in animation or read in comic book pages, but never seen before in live action was such a treat. Characters like Ocean Master and his classic uh, costume that he wears, the trench creatures. I mean, some that's pretty recent that Jeff Johns introduced in the new 52 run, which was a great kicking off point for Aquaman once the new 52 started. And seeing those creatures be brought into live action and being done well and looking like creepy and scary as they did in the comics was great. And yeah, just tons of stuff like that throughout the film that I just kept geeking out <laughs> over as as a DC comic book fan and seeing the stuff brought into live action was just so, so cool. So yeah, and the characters that the main characters in this film were done really well, I felt that Jason Momoa continues to be a different but a really good Aquaman. <laughs> I mean, he's establishing himself as, you know, an Aquaman that's gonna be probably remembered and looked upon as a definitive version of the character for a lot of people who are going into this film not too familiar with Aquaman and Jason Momoa might be his performance might be the standard <laughs> for them because it is something we saw it with Justice League something that's different than well, maybe older DC comic fans have been used to seeing of Aquaman but it totally works he brings his charm and charisma to the role that you've seen in Justice League and now that he's in the lead role and we get to 
dive deeper into the character and his motivation and his arc. I thought he did a really great job in his performance. And yeah, he, I was actually a little bit surprised that even some of the more uh, silly qualities of the character, I guess, in Justice League that we saw. You know, Dane likes to call it the woohoo moments <laughs> that we got a lot in Justice League and even some of the trailers we had for Aquaman. Uh, there is a little bit in there, but I was actually kind of surprised how toned down that was. I was expecting a lot of that um, from Jason Momoa's Aquaman, which I, I don't have a two problem. I really didn't have a problem with that during Justice League, but I can understand if they use it too much for him, it could kind of get kind of get annoying. But I thought it was handled really well. Pretty much all you hear of that type of stuff from his Aquaman in the trailers is all that was in the movie. So if hearing Aquaman go yeah or woo a lot bothered you, you have to worry about that too much in the actual film because it's kind of toned down it's not what his character is defined by thank goodness yeah then you had more of amber heard's mara i thought um her and jason Momoa had good chemistry for the most part throughout the most of the movie um there is some moments where i felt they relied a little too much on some hollywood tropes with uh arthur and mara <laughs> that is like yeah you can see it coming and also like it's some almost felt like something they have to check off the box of the standard like romantic type thing they put in these type of movies and it's like okay it didn't seem i don't want to say forced but it almost seemed like it's something that you just knew was coming and it just played out like a cliche sort of thing but uh, i thought both like i said both characters i thought had good or i should say actors had good chemistry together for the most part um throughout the film and then uh, patrick wilson as ocean master i thought he was really great in that role um again don't want to go into too much spoilers here as far as uh some motivations and stuff but it's i will say what i like between orm and arthur is that it captured what their relationship was like in the comics uh for the most part and again it was one of those things that was cool to see on screen and uh we've seen it in posters and like promotional materials but ocean master's a classic costume that was really cool to see in live action and it looked great as well so i thought they did a good job with orm and ocean master and uh yeah there will be another character to talk about as well but i'm gonna save him for last <laughs> for for a particular reason well i'll get to later um but yeah i thought for the most part the character performances were great and solid but I think what this movie is going to be remembered for, and for me personally, is the action sequence and just the way it was shot. I mean, I've never seen a James Wan movie before, so Aquaman was my first. But man, I love his uh, directing style when it comes to action sequences. I just love pretty much how all of them were shot and directed. It was just really cool to see. I mean, the combat in this film, like the one-on-one -on -one fights or when... Aquaman's fighting a group of enemies. I just love the style that James Wan shot it in where it's these long shots where you really get to see the action, long, long wide shots where you see the movements of all the actors participating in the fight and the choreography was great. And yeah, you could tell certain moments are sped up to have a more quicker fight, but I love that. When it works well, it looks really cool to see on screen. And I think he really pulled it off here with these fight sequences in Aquaman and there's a lot of them, and for the most part, I think they all delivered. I have one nitpick about one, which I'll get into kind of at the end where I talk about some of my uh, nitpicks with the film, but overall, the action really delivered here, and some of my favorite ones were, like, it was, I get it, don't want to go into too much spoilers, because even though it's not particularly plot spoilers, I want people to go into this movie like going fresh and not knowing what to expect and where certain things happen, but I will say the movie is well-paced with 
great action throughout. It starts off with a cool one, little break, you get another one that leads into another one, and then <laughs> it just you know it gets the ball keeps going rolling and rolling for a well paced movie when you're looking for action. So um, yeah, that really didn't uh, disappoint on that front. Um, and also too, um, one of the cool things just about the movie in general is just that it does a great job of world building. I mean, so I've heard some people kind of complain about maybe a little too much of exposition, but I really dug what they were trying to do as far as establishing the history of Atlantis and its people and its culture and how the seven kingdoms work there and the different realms that are in Atlantis. And yeah, I just loved all that stuff. It made me excited for, you know, potential, story points they can dive into and stuff I was kind of familiar with with reading past Aquaman comics. So they did a great job with establishing the lore and history and just the universe building for Aquaman. And I had this feeling with Wonder Woman and I had this feeling while watching Aquaman too. And uh, it kind of bugs me a little bit with the disappointment that Justice League was at the box office that we might not see its full potential, but it just reaffirmed of how cool that the DC extended universe can be when it's done really well, like Aquaman and Wonder Woman, two vastly, you know, different styles of movies and two different characters, but you just really get into their worlds and the universes within their movies. Wonder Woman with the Amazons and Aquaman with uh, the Atlanteans. It's just really great. And I just got geeked out as a comic book fan thinking, Oh man, this is all in the same universe. It's really, really cool. And Batman exists here. Superman exists here. And from justice league, we knew the green lanterns are out there. You just get that feeling of a much bigger universe while you're watching this. And as big as the history and world building for Atlantis was in Aquaman, you just think of how bigger things can be when you think about like the Amazons, the green lantern Corps, Kryptonians and how big this universe can be. And it's so awesome to think about, but then you go, uh, is Warner brothers really going to expand on that <laughs> after the disappointment with justice league? That's what, that's one of those things where you're so excited and you're thinking about the potential of cool things that can happen. But then you remember, uh, this, things got off to a rocky start and we might not get to see the fulfillment of some cool potential with all this great world building, but try not to let that disappoint me too much because what they established here in Aquaman was pretty great and just cool to think about the wider scale of the larger DC universe. So, yeah, the other big takeaway I had from Aquaman and probably my favorite takeaway, and this is what I was saving for last, is my favorite part of Aquaman, Black Manta. Man, was he really cool. <laughs> he did not disappoint in his screen time in this film. And uh, I will say, too, he was probably in it more than I thought, but once I've seen how great he was, he wasn't in it nearly as enough as he deserves because he was really, really great. I mean, his introduction was perfect, and the stuff we've seen in the trailers with his fight sequence and uh, chase that he has with Arthur and Mera that we saw in the trailers, that really delivered. And what I was talking about earlier about seeing certain characters and creatures be brought to life in live action for the first time, that was really cool to see. None more so than Black Manta. I mean, even in the trailers, we got a, a sense of how awesome his helmet looked. But man, seeing the, that whole sequence as a whole and seeing him fight Aquaman, it just looked cool. I just kept thinking to myself, man, I can't believe I'm actually seeing a Black Manta Aquaman fight. And Black Manta looks as cool as he should be. Man, he did not disappoint. And a great performance, too, by Yaha Abdul Mateen. Hopefully, I pronounced your name right because, man, his performance was fantastic as Black Manta. Like I said, great introduction to his character and his motivations as to why he really hates Aquaman. And I'm going to throw out 
one little spoiler warning here. I know I said it's spoiler free, but talking about Black Manta, I just couldn't help but say this. But again, it's not a major plot spoiler. Anyone knows comics and Black Manta and Aquaman, this wouldn't come as a huge shocker. So very minor spoiler warning here. But I'll just say I cannot wait for what the future holds for Black Manta and Aquaman and hopefully future films because, man, what they set up with their relationship and their rivalry, I think it can make for a really fantastic and powerful sequel if he's uh, if he's the main villain, which I really hope he is because how he was used here, man, it really set him up for him to carry the whole next film as a villain. He was that good. So, yeah, Black Manta was the highlight for me. Every time he was on screen, I felt he stole the show. So, yeah, they did not disappoint with handling Black Manta at all. I thought he was fantastic. So, yeah, he was great. And so I guess to get into a little bit of some of my complaints or nitpicks, um, there weren't too many of them, but some that I felt stood out that I should mention. Um, First off, I kind of mentioned it at the beginning, kind of some familiar movie tropes, mainly with the romantic element of it. But there's some other stuff in the film that I felt was a little predictable or I could see coming. Um, Or maybe just me being familiar with, you know, comic books and Aquaman uh, his story where certain things felt familiar and can kind of see happening so we'll see if that's an issue for general audiences and then as great as Aquaman looked Atlantis was amazing the visual and the action was great there were certain CGI uh, shots and sequences that didn't look perfect Um, and it's mainly just where characters are standing around sitting down talking in the background shots where you could just tell it's blue and green screen that could have been polished up a little bit so that was a something i noticed that was a little uh, i don't want to say jarring might be a little too strong but definitely noticeable when you're watching the movie and then probably my biggest complaint with the film is again i was raving about the action and none of them looked bigger and more epic than the stuff we saw in the trailers of that big underwater battle that is going to happen, which we all assume was going to be the climatic action sequence in the film, which it was. And I just felt it was a little too rushed. It kind of sent like they were, they were moving along too quickly to get to the final confrontation between Aquaman and Ocean Master. And I just felt it needed to breathe a little more for me. And maybe that's something on repeated viewings that will flow a little better and seem more seamless. But uh, going into it, being really excited to see how epic and grand this final battle is. And it definitely had shots where it was epic. And I'm totally glad I stayed away from watching that final trailer and TV spots. Because after I saw the film, I watched that last trailer. And they were showing some stuff um, that in that final sequence that I go, man, they actually showed that? Because that was a pretty cool surprise to see that in the film. And then when I saw it in the trailer, I was like, oh man, they kind of surprised they did that it would have been cool to leave it uh, as a surprise and I'm glad that I didn't watch because it was something cool to see happen on the big screen for the first time so um, but yeah I just felt it was a little too rushed and just didn't quite live up to some of the other action sequences we got in the film so uh, I felt a little disappointed with that but like I said maybe on multiple viewings it'll flow better for me knowing what I can expect from it now instead of going into it not knowing what to expect and how long it would be but man it was definitely some great epic moments in that final action sequence and just maybe want want more of it because it looked so good so yeah I guess those are 
my initial spoiler free thoughts for the most part, I guess, <laughs> the Black Manta stuff notwithstanding. But even then, uh, any comic book fan, I think, should know that it's not a huge surprise uh, about what's in store for Black Manta. Uh, so, yeah, I really, really dug Aquaman. I think it delivered for the most part on what I was looking forward to it and just bringing uh, this character and his universe that we know could be really cool into, you know, the mainstream movie audiences. And I think they're really going to like it. Guys, like I said, it's something that I don't think has been done before, at least this well, as far as being like a great ocean world. And that's filled with, you know, exotic creatures, epic designs, landscapes. That's another thing I want to say, the costume designs. I raved about Black Manta and Ocean Master look great, but even like the soldiers and troops for Atlantis, their armor looked really cool as well. So just all around visually, like the character designs, uh, models used for the ships, the landscapes, everything about the movie looked fantastic. So yeah, just a lot I dug about Aquaman. And I'm excited about the future of this franchise and DC movies in general. I think this is another win for them, along with Wonder Woman. And hopefully they could keep up that momentum with Shazam, as that looks like something totally fun and different, but could be just as good as Aquaman in its own way, Aquaman and Wonder Woman in its own way, as far as being, I think, well-received by general audiences to get you know a nice role for DC films, as we're hoping for. So, yeah, if I had to score it, I'd probably give it a 4 out of 5. And we'll see if that changes on multiple viewings. It might go higher, so uh, we'll see about that. And definitely look out for our next episode, probably when we return in 2019, to give a more spoiler-filled thoughts about it. Because by then, I'm sure uh, most fans would have a chance to see it by then, and we can go into some of the more spoiler details about the movie that uh, I enjoyed, and you know, maybe some things that are the seeds have been planted for future films that I would love to see. So. Yeah, but overall, uh, Aquaman really delivered for me, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again. So, um, yeah, that's going to do it for this portion of the episode. Thanks, everyone, for sticking with us to the end and hearing my non-spoiler thoughts on Aquaman. Hope you enjoyed it, and hope you enjoy the film as much as I did. So, thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys all in 2019. Scarecrow's frightened